College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 35 of the podcast. Okay, 35. I've been waiting to do this one, guys. I was thinking uh, a few weeks ago about the midpoint of the semester, you know, getting ahead of myself as usual. I'm always into counting down the weeks, as you may have noticed. And I was thinking, you know, there's really no even midpoint in a 15-week semester. Um, You know, the seven-and-a-half-week mark isn't really noteworthy or, you know, doesn't stand out for any particular reason. So you're stuck either celebrating the halfway point at week seven or week eight, and then that's also usually around spring break. And then it occurred to me, you know what? 15 weeks really breaks down evenly and nicely into threes, into thirds. So I was thinking, let's do, uh, last semester I had done a uh, a mid-semester checkup with uh, our goals and whatnot. But instead, I'm not going to do that this time around. I'm going to do, I'm going to chunk the the semester into thirds. So let's do our first uh, one-third of the way through checkup. Um, and so that uh, leads on to our quick tip of the week. Um, and this is a good opportunity to do a more thorough weekly review. Uh, you know, I talk about weekly reviews a lot. You know, I say, I think this was a quick tip a few weeks ago, actually, was like, you know, every, once a week, just kind of check in with your calendar, your to-do list, plan out the week ahead, figure out when you're going to be studying, when your usual study times might have conflicts, um, you know, appointments, things you may have missed, etc. Um, and then this time around, you know, this is week five. Uh, this is probably, if you think of the the semester in thirds, right? You have the first third, which we just finished. We're going into the second third now. First third's probably the easiest of the three, sorry to say. Um, things are going to get more difficult for most people. So the second third usually encapsulates the midterm exam if your class has one. So I would suggest as a more thorough weekly review to kind of go back and review all of your syllabus beginning to end and look again at the big tasks and projects over the next five weeks. You know, focus in on the midterms if your class has them or any kind of projects. Um, Things that you, you know, may not, you may not have encountered yet are the things that I'm particularly interested in. Um, So start planning them out. You know, if it's a larger type of thing, like the midterm, it's probably coming up in about two or three weeks. You know, you got time to study, you know, and we're going to talk about how to study today. And uh, I'm pretty amazed, actually. Uh, Today's episode is going to be all about note-taking. And I was thinking about this. I was like, I have to have done this as a topic in the past. Looking back, I haven't. I did flashcards for college students uh, one semester, uh, one episode back in the first semester, but I never tackled note taking on its own. So you guys are in for a treat. Oh boy. Uh, before I get to that, let us get into our question of the day coming to us from Reddit. And I actually have for you today, one not so question question, just something I wanted to read because it's an interesting thing. Uh, to ponder, and then an actual question. So, our first question comes to us from Buford the Basher. What was the most, or what is the most difficult thing you've experienced during college that you didn't expect? 
So it's just kind of like an open-ended thing. And uh, some people shared a few things that I thought were pertinent. So the, the most upvoted response was how hard it is to make friends. It's not like elementary, middle, high school where you see the same people all the time and you just may as well talk. Most people go to college with friends they already had from high school or make a group their first semester. If you don't, you're basically fucked because it gets harder and harder. And uh, there is some truth to that. Uh, I did talk about loneliness, I know, last semester. And I think this is for a lot of people the very first time that they're confronted with loneliness if they've been used to having their core group of friends around them from, you know, early elementary school on through high school. So I can relate, and it might not be something you expect. I know, I guess a lot of people do go to go to college and know people from their high school that are going to college and may start off with an, a friend or two or three. That wasn't the way it was for me. I went to Rutgers, and I was from Long Island, and I don't think anybody in my graduating class went to Rutgers except for me. So I was starting out fresh, and I was not expecting it to be easy. <laughs> so um, that may be something, you know, where I differ. But uh, that's, I think, the biggest one. Uh, another one was half the battle is just showing up and focusing for a few hours to do well. And I think that that gets at this idea that in high school, you were sort of made to show up. And sometimes you focused and sometimes you didn't. Now in college, you, you're you not really in... A lot of people don't take, you know, back-to-back-to-back classes where they're in school from 9 to 4, like you might be for high school. You, you know, you have an early class. You may have a class till the evening. Um, you may have two classes back to back and then nothing the next day. It's very staggered usually. And it is important in those cases to really do what you need to do from a you know physical health, mental health, mindfulness perspective to make sure that you rally for those few hours and are on your game. Because if you're not focused, you're going to have a really hard time paying attention and it's going to make it very difficult to take notes. So... Uh, that's another, and then another one sort of on that one, waking up for early morning classes, something that they did not expect would be as difficult. I figured I'd be totally fine because in high school I was used to waking up at 6am every day, but I ended up missing nearly half of my 9am class during my first semester of freshman year. And I can relate to that. I remember uh, an 8am class I had on Friday mornings, and I think that was my second semester at college. Um... And that was brutal. And I, I was—I made it. I mean, at least it was on my campus. But I was not really focused at all or really paying attention. So I don't even know why I went. Um, and it's amazing because this person's right. It's like I, I was used to getting up and going to high school every day. And high school usually starts just as early as some college classes, in a lot of cases even earlier. And you, you think to yourself, why can't I do it now? And it's one thing is you don't may not have a parent or whoever's taking care of you beating down your door, making sure, you know, kicking your ass, pulling the sheets off your bed, doing whatever to get your ass out of bed if you're, uh, you know, not a morning person. <laughs> um, but it also just might be, again, your, your schedule usually as a college student is inconsistent. So you don't have the routine of getting up every morning at the same time. And that really fucks with your, you know, circadian rhythm and everything 
that, you know, I talk about in terms of doing the same things around the same times every day. Um, extra challenge as a college student because it's not like high school. It's not like a typical nine to five job. Um, so it's up to you to be a little bit more disciplined with your energy consumption and how you sort of prepare for the times when you're going to need to be again at the top of your game. So another thing people did not expect, (laughs) sometimes professors can be beyond terrible. (laughs) I take no offense, I promise. Harassing students in class and their supervisor and other supervisors may overlook it regardless of how many students complain. You got to stand up for your rights, know what your rights are. I suppose it's important to know what you can do in college while you while you can't do this in high school where you need a parent to come in and do it for you. That's an introspective point. Um, I definitely agree with this person that you need to know your rights and stand up for yourself, that you're not going to have mom to fall back on now to negotiate on your behalf. So that's an important aspect. Uh, and there are some terrible professors, but I think there is pretty terrible college te- I mean, uh, high school teachers. So... I don't know if it's that different in that regard. Uh, so those are just a few, you know, things I wanted to share for, you know, di- difficult things, but things you weren't expecting to be as difficult as they ended up being. Maybe some of you can relate. All right, next question. This one is about letters of recommendation, and I got some stuff to say about that. (laughs) All right, so I apologize if this isn't the right sub, blah, blah, blah. A few weeks ago, I asked several professors for letters of recommendation, as I need two for an application, and I will admit that it was a bit short notice. I went to the office of one of my professors rather than sending her an email, and after we talked for a bit, she said she'd be happy to do it and send her a reminder of our conversation through email. I did so, she responded, asking me to respond once more and change the subject of our email thread to include the due date. Fast forward, and I sent her a reminder, and she actually copied the reminder, and basically this uh, professor did not respond, and she sent another reminder, and now it's a holiday, and the university's closed, and she's terribly worried. Is it going to be rude to send another reminder? I feel like she'll ask me why I waited until the day of to send a reminder. And I've been receiving emails from the program applying to asking where the last letter is. Any suggestions? Okay. Well, I got some general overview suggestions. King Spike. Uh, Thanks for the question. (laughs) So letters of recommendation are, in some professors' eyes, the bane of their existence. Uh, Professors generally like writing letters of recommendation for students that they really appreciated having in their class, or if they didn't necessarily have them in class, really um, just like them because they were really good students. Um, Professors don't really like writing letters of recommendation for people that they don't know that well, they don't know for that long, or that they are sort of just kind of lukewarm on in terms of their actual recommendation. So my first suggestion is to know who you're going to be asking. You know, make sure they hold you in a somewhat high regard. I've had some students ask me that were not A students, and that's going to influence my letter. You know, I'll still write a letter, usually. I've never told a student to this point that I will not write them a letter, so that's saying something. 
But the the letter that I write, a letter recommendation for a B student is going to be, how do you say, lukewarm compared to that one uh, that I'm going to write for the student that was an A student that just really lit up the classroom and was an overachiever. That student is going to get an over-the-top recommendation from me, and I would, you know, be happy to write them. Now, the thing is, now you got to get a teacher to do something beyond what they normally do. So it's like, yeah, this person did the right thing in one case. So uh, the thing she did right was going in person and asking. And I definitely appreciate students that take the time to ask me in person rather than send me an email. Um, if asking a person is impossible, a phone call is you know, somewhat as good, just not quite. Um, but at least having a conversation in real time as opposed to email, I think is a better way to, to initiate the request for a, a letter of recommendation. And this could be for, um, you know, undergrad, it could be for grad school, it could be for, um, you know, anything that you need a letter of recommendation for. You know, I've been asked for them for, for different things. But it's usually from, in my instance, it's undergraduate students that are getting ready to graduate that need a letter of recommendation for grad school. So asking in person is really great. If you need to, reaching out over the phone, I think is still better than um, making that first initial contact for a letter of recommendation over email. So way to go, King Spike. Now, the thing that got you was asking a little too late in the game. I uh, I still don't think it was terrible because, again, the person did agree to write you the letter. And another thing that I would follow up with, and this person did at the professor's request, was a follow-up email. So after seeing them in person, hopefully they agree, send them an email, be like, thanks for, you know, agreeing. Here are the, you know, here's more info about what I need in the letter. That's the next thing. Know what you're asking for. Sometimes... A school is requiring a narrative, you know, a couple paragraphs about you generated from the instructor on university letterhead that's got to be uploaded somewhere. Other times the recommendation is more go to this school's website. Um, they'll give you some kind of number or a link in an email to, you know, make sure that they're, you know, you have the right student. And they'll ask you a series of uh, statements and you'll rate, you know, how much you agree with the statement. You know, person's a really great communicator, rate a scale one to 10, blah, 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 blah. And you'll do that for a number of things. And then it'll be optional to upload a letter if you want to. Um, so check out the system, see what they, your school is actually asking for in this letter recommendation. Do they need it? Uh, do they need a narrative? Are they requiring a letter or is it more of this like rating system? And some professors might ask you to write the letter of recommendation and they will kind of look at it, revise it as they see fit and then sign it. So don't be surprised if they do that. I, I would never do that. <laughs> I think that's kind of, uh, I don't really like that. Um, I see, I mean, I've been explained why they do that and that is so that you get the best letter possible, which is what their argument is. Um, I think the lesser argument, again, is they don't have time. 
but they think you'll put in a really good effort to write your own letter, and you'll also have information about yourself that they don't necessarily have. Uh, another thing with letters of recommendation sometimes I will ask for is uh, the person's resume or CV to look at and reference when I'm writing the letter. That's usually, I think, when you get to slightly more advanced levels. You know, I had to do that for when I had to ask for some letters of recommendation for um, applying for the Ph.D. program. So just a few notes on letters of recommendation. I think King Spike, honestly, other than waiting a little too late, did everything that he was supposed to do. I might reach out to my school and see if there's an option to send it in late. You know, some schools might be flexible. I would still stay on the teacher. I guess my my recommendation to this poster would be stay on it and get them to submit it. Even if they submit it late, there's a good chance it will still be looked at in some way. Alrighty, so let's get into our topic for today, the main topic, and it is on note-taking and note-taking strategies. First thing I'm just going to address, and let's get this out of the way, is some of you might out there be like, you know what, I got something to admit to you, Derek. I don't really tell this to too many people, but I don't take notes when I sit in class. And the professor lectures. Uh, Well, I have something to say in response. I know. I sit there and watch you guys. (laughs) So I know that there is, and it's a minority, granted, of students that believe, I guess, that they either are capable of remembering what I say with their photographic memories or just don't particularly care to learn. The other thing I think is that we have an over-reliance on this thing called PowerPoint. Um, both, And this is not just students that are addicted to it. Uh, it's faculty that are enabling you guys to be addicted to it because they're addicted to it as well. Professors, some for some reason, think that they can't do a fucking lecture without a PowerPoint slide deck. And it's really unbelievable because... I When I was in college, it was not the thing to always do. Uh, it was definitely getting there. Um, but PowerPoint did not always exist uh, and was not always in the classroom. And uh, it's almost in some ways a detriment to the learning process, in my opinion. And I'll get into that in a little bit. So let me start off with note-taking and why it's important. Uh, it really gets in back to this idea of encoding. I used to do a whole section of our cognitive remediation intervention that I taught on note-taking. It was one of the 12 modules. And one of the exercises that we did was pretty cool was to demonstrate encoding. So the first thing I'd do is read a bunch of words and the person would just have to recall, write down as many as I had said. And all I did was read them out loud to the person. So all they got was my voice as a way to encode the material. And, you know, they may recall, you know, whatever, X number of words. And then we did it again, but this time, instead of me reading the words, I let them, I handed them a sheet of paper, and they got to study the words for, I think it was 60 seconds. And then they would write down as many as they could recall after I took the paper away. And predictably, (laughs) you might guess, they recalled more words than in the first exercise. In the third exercise, instead of letting them study the sheet, I would give them the sheet and allow them to reorder them into categories. 
So one of the things about the lists were the words were broken out into categories. So they were, but they were not presented that way. So there might be, you know, a bunch of different tools, a bunch of different flowers and a bunch of different colors, but they weren't broken out like that. It would be, you know, a color and then a tool and, you know, it was all randomized. So this exercise, they allowed you a few minutes to categorize them, like write, rewrite them and reorganize them. And then after that, you took them away and you got to, uh, I gave them a piece of paper to write down as many words as they could recall. And they recalled more than in the first two exercises is they were able to kind of rewrite the words and reorder them. And in the fourth exercise, they got to do all of those things. But in addition, they got some extra time to kind of sketch out a picture to represent the category or represent the items in the category. And people often did the best on that, the fourth trial. So the idea of encoding is really well encapsulated in that exercise. Just listening to something is... You're not going to remember, you're going to recall a certain percentage, but much less than if you encode it in other ways. When you only do it through audio, chances of recollection, you know, to a high degree of accuracy are very slim. When you get to look at the words, so you get visual ability to encode and potentially audio. So you could say things to yourself as you're reading them, saying them out loud so that your brain actually hears them with your ear, now you're getting encoding through two different channels. So you're seeing it with your eyes and you're hearing your own voice, or you might be listening in a sense to your internal dialogue, but I, it actually is better to say, say it out loud. Now introduce a third element, the act of rewriting or copying, right? So if you had, let's say you took notes one day and then I mentioned in the past, it's a good idea sometimes to recopy your notes your ability to recollect that is even better because now you're encoding through three channels or more. You're looking at your notes. You might be saying the words to yourself out loud or silently as you do the third thing, which is use your pen and, and rewrite them. And then the fourth element you could introduce is like a visual image. So you could draw a little picture. You could just do some kind of symbol, some kind of visual articulation of the words that you have on the paper. So the idea is if you can stack as many different ways to encode material on top of one another, the better your chances are of recollection. So the person that just sits there in class with, you know, no pen, no paper, you know, nothing on their desk, just sitting there listening. And if let's say they're paying attention, right? They're not daydreaming and pretending to listen. Um, that is equivalent to that first exercise of that person just sitting there listening to me read words. And trust me, that first exercise, people by far did the worst. Now, consider the person that is sitting there with a pen and paper, writing down, summarizing what I'm saying. That's the equivalent of that third trial. You know, the one where the person got an, a piece, got a pen and got to take the words and sort of reorganize them. They had to recopy them. They're really fresh in the person's mind because they were looking at them. They were rewriting them. They were seeing their associations to one another and saying, oh, these three or four make up a category. Um, their recollection was so much higher. So that's what you want to aim for. And if you can add pictures to your notes, if you're a visual learner, that's going to help you even more. So... The reason that you do this is working memory. <laughs> um, Note-taking is one of the hardest things a student has to do. And the reason is because 
More often than not, the student does not have any idea or hindsight of what the lecturer is going to be talking about, right? So they may have a general idea. Oh, I'm talking about this today. And even if they get a PowerPoint, and I think this is one of the reasons the students like it so much, is they do have a sense of where the lecture is going to go. Um, when they have that, they'll, it's good. But just even from sentence to sentence, from paragraph to paragraph, you cannot anticipate what the instructor is going to say. So you've got to listen to what is said, think about it, process it, then think of how you would say it in your own words. One of the, the kind of golden rules I have for note-taking is use your own words and summarize. Um, paraphrase. Don't try and copy verbatim what the professor is saying. And the reason for that is not only is that going to take you too much time, um, you're going to remember better if it's in your own words. If you can think of a concept and say, all right, so what he's saying is this, and you're going to say it slightly differently, and you're going to write it down even, probably even more differently, but it shows a, an in-depth understanding. If you could take what's said and sort of regurgitate it in your own words and be able to kind of keep true to the idea, but put it in your own distinct styling and vernacular. That is good. So it's it's easier to recall because it's in your own, you know, the language that you are used to using. Um, but it also demonstrates an element of understanding. If you were, if you really didn't understand a topic, you would have a hard time summarizing it, and you probably would be more inclined to, at that point, fall back on saying, writing exactly what the teacher said. So, paraphrasing is important. Um, and you, so you have to do all this in a very short amount of time. You have to listen, you have to summarize, and then you have to write it down. And what happens is the teacher goes faster than you can do all of that stuff. The teacher does not care that he's going faster than you can write. So what ends up usually happening for the poorer note takers is this giant gap starts happening, right? And I call this like the working memory gap. Um, you are working at a certain pace. The teacher might be, you know, five seconds ahead of you for a little while. And you're like keeping up and things are going well. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe something happens, you get distracted or whatever, and the gap widens and maybe it gets out to 10, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. And your brain can only hold a certain amount of information from what was, where you're at in the note-taking process and where he's at in his lecture, when that, gap, when that amount of information gets too large, the gap gets too big, you lose it, right? And you've, you've done that. It's like, ah, oh, whatever we were, I was just writing, I, I lost it. And you sort of maybe just resume where the lecture is in that moment. And you've sort of lost that little piece. And if that happens, you know, once, whatever. Um, that's what a good reason for tape recording, which is a strategy I highly endorse for taking notes. Even if you don't think you need it, um, do it. What I found from suggesting it with people is even if they never went back and listened to the lecture on the tape, because that is a time-consuming process, and I'll talk about a shortcut in a little while, um, they felt having it in their back pocket, so to speak, of being like, you know what, I have it, I'm secure in knowing that even if I miss something in my note taking, I can go back and listen to it if I want to, made them relax and less anxious and therefore better note takers.
I heard that from more than one person. So that was a very interesting finding. And sometimes most teachers are usually okay with tape recording. Some are douchebags and think that it's my intellectual property, so you cannot record me. Um, fuck them. Sorry to say. Um, I'm not saying don't record. I'm saying I'm not saying don't follow their rules. I'm just saying that those people are typically assholes. Um, if you have some kind of mental health condition, you can get, I would say, 95% of the time, an accommodation to be allowed to tape record based on your need to, you know, improve your concentration and study skills when those fuckers are sitting there being like, now you can't record my lecture. (laughs) Plus, everybody's got a smartphone these days, so how does the guy even know he's being recorded? I mean, back in the day, it was a little, you had to be a little more obvious. So anyway, so you have to mind the gap, so to speak. And that means taking shortcuts whenever possible. It means using things like abbreviations, um, slang is okay in taking notes. Um, don't write out the word and. Use a plus sign. It's so much faster, you know. The little W with the hyphen instead of with. I mean, shit, that's my standby. <laughs> I use that all the time. Um, so any little thing you could do to cut a corner and save a fraction of a second when you're taking notes counts. Now, you might be sitting here being like, oh, God, he's talking about all those things I hate. You know, you have to, and it's a stamina thing, right? You know, most people's classes ain't a half an hour long, right? It's going to be 90 minutes to up to three hours. My classes are 180 minutes. Um, and taking notes for that much, that length of amount of time is near impossible, I would say. And that's why I think good teachers will break it up. You know, oh, let's do an exercise you know, halfway through or, you know, a third of the way through. It's like, oh, thank God. I don't have to take notes for a while. I'm going to learn this different way now. And that should be what's happening in your classes. It's hard to, to keep up. And that stamina, I think, is one of the reasons why students are reluctant to, to do the note taking. It's like, ah, I don't I know that I'm going to, you know, in 10 minutes, I'm going to burn out. And, you know, I'm just shot. It's like, all right, but at least you got 10 minutes worth. You could study from that. So let me tell you about a note-taking strategy that was taught to me that I think can be really effective. Um, it involves tape recording. So first you need something to tape record your notes with. Um, tape, you know, micro recorder, or, you know, just a smartphone with a simple recording app. Hopefully your phone's got a lot of memory. Um, so what you're going to do is turn on your tape recorder, start taking notes, do the best you can. Go for as long as you can. And for the people that are saying, you know, oh, I get distracted, you know, 15, 20 minutes in, it's like, okay, it just, oh, I got it. It's going to happen. So you get distracted. You start daydreaming. A couple of minutes later, you're like, oh, shit, I was daydreaming. <laughs> you look down at your tape recorder. Note the timestamp. So your timer, your recorder has a timer and it's counting up, right? So it's like, must be at the, you might be at the like 18 minute mark. 18 minute and 30 second mark and you're like oh, all right so you jot that down in your notes and you resume note taking from that point right keep going and it's inevitably going to happen again right oh shit 27 minutes and 14 seconds jot it and one other thing is leave a space when you do that so leave a few empty spots every time you do that leave a little gap and put the time stamp and then go back to note taking if it happens two times, three times, four times, whatever, as many times as it happened, now you have a sort of a way to go back and listen to the areas that you missed, but 
not have to listen to the entire goddamn lecture because who has time for that, right? Everybody that I talk to that, you know, tape records, or I'd say most of them are like, I don't know how, you know, I'm able to listen. You know, I have all these lectures on on tape that I never got around to listening to because I can't keep up. It's like, I understand. So cut some corners. So take the notes as best you can in class. You have a backup copy. Now, the next day or two days, as I said, when you review your notes, it's best to do it when it's still like somewhat fresh in your mind. So maybe put it in your calendar for the next day you're going to schedule to go and review your notes. And what that is, is reading through the notes that you were able to take. And then when you get to one of those timestamps, go get your tape recording, tape recording of that lecture. Fast forward to the 17, 18 minute mark, you know, back it up, maybe 30 seconds or so. Or no, you back it up, I'm sorry, to the point where you last were taking notes. So it's like, oh, here's where I left off. Here's where I started getting distracted. Now you re-listen to that section, maybe a couple minutes worth, hopefully it's not too long, up to the point where you jot down the timestamp. And so now you have, and you put it in that gap that you left. So now you have a more complete set of notes. If you repeat this process for every time you kind of put that timestamp in. So... This is a way to not have to be a little more efficient, I should say, with your recording process and listening back. Some other things I see in my classes, um, I see students, again, begging for the PowerPoint. Um, my first class, this one of these uh, classes I'm teaching this semester, I wasn't even thinking about it, actually. I just you know came to class and I hadn't made copies. And I started lecturing and I had a PowerPoint up on the overhead projector. And they're like, uh, you're going to hand out the PowerPoint? I was like, uh, no, I wasn't planning on it. And <laughs> you should have seen them. It was like I, I told them I was going to stab pencils in their eyes. Um, they were horrified. And I'm like, but why? And I was like, all right, let's have a frank discussion about this. Because I was really interested in their perspective. You know, I want students to learn. I want people to succeed. So if, if that's something that's critical, like, I'll do it. Um, I just... I think people use it as a crutch, and that's what I'm against. So their reasonings, they got me to do it because some of their reasonings are sound. So one of them was, I like to take, I like to be able to look at the PowerPoint ahead of time before class to have an idea of how closely the lecture is going to follow whatever the, you know, material that was assigned for that week, you know. So if you're lecturing from a textbook, I want to see how closely you follow the textbook or if your PowerPoint is completely, you know, doesn't follow the textbook at all. Okay. Um, another person said they like to take notes on their computer, and I'll get to that a little while later. And so having a, an electronic version of the PowerPoint... So this person wanted an electronic. They didn't even want, you know, a handout in class paper. They wanted emailed ahead of time. And that's what I ultimately decided to do um, was so that they could then type their notes right into the PowerPoint. You know, if you have a PowerPoint and it's got the handout view, so it'll have a slide and then off to the right or underneath it'll have lines where you can write in notes. And a lot of students like to do take notes that way. That is not the way I prefer to take notes, but okay. Everybody has a different system, and I'm, I'm totally fine with that. So that was their other reasoning. Um, and I told them my reasoning for not wanting to do it. My reasoning was, I don't want to give you that PowerPoint, and then in your mind, sit back and you're like, 
Oh shit. Now I don't have to take any notes. Because all my notes are right here in front of me. Now, I get that some professors try and cram way too much onto slides and in, ter- in turn actually give you the notes. Um, and you, know, you guys must love that shit, right? Um, that's not how good professors do PowerPoints. Good professors use PowerPoint as a tool and will kind of keep people in the structure of the lecture more than deliver actual content. So bullet points, right? Main feature of PowerPoint. Um, to kind of be able to show the class of here's what we're going to be learning now. We're going to be learning it, you know, if they have an agenda for about this long, and then we're going to switch to this topic. I find PowerPoint to be very helpful for that, for guiding the lecture, supplementing it. So it's like, oh, now we have a video to watch, and it's already preloaded into the PowerPoint, and it's the next slide, and the person just calls up the next slide, hits play. Oh, I think that's so smooth, so much better than like having to shut down or minimize PowerPoint. Now I got to open up my web browser. Now I got to find it, or hopefully, you know, oh, it's not saved in my favorites. Where the fuck did it go? Um, that's not smooth at all, right? So I like PowerPoint to be able to, you know, sort of guide the lecture in a way that's helping the class see where we're at, where we're headed, you know, how much time we're going to be allocating. And in my mind, you don't need that in paper form or even really an email form, electronic form, to take notes, you know? So, you know, some people do it, fine. They won, they won me over. They got me to do it. So now I freaking send them the PowerPoints out, you know, a couple hours before class. Um, so that's what I see in my classes. That's what my students are telling me. I suspect that people feel the same way. One more thing I wanted to say about um, taking notes is having a system. So your system might be, as I was just talking about, you get the PowerPoint from the professor when he hands it out, you take your notes on the on the PowerPoint, and then you go home and you study them right before class um, or right before an exam. That's a system. It's kind of a shitty system, in my opinion, but it's a system. At least you're doing something consistently. Um, I suggest, you know, having a set way you write your notes, right? So I, I'm doing mine bulleted style. And when I, when the professor says a word that I don't know, I underline it or I put a box around it. And that's my code in my system to look that word up later. Or a question mark or two question marks means I got to look at that in the textbook later, right? So kind of have a way to trigger other actions within your notes that you can do really quickly in the moment, right? I don't suggest highlighters for this because it's too it's too time consuming to switch back and forth, right? It's like, oh, I'm writing for a while. Oh, this is really important. Let me switch to my highlighter to highlight it. It's like, just draw a line under it. <laughs> um, don't make it, it's, prettiness is not, you know, prettiness is not the, the focus here, guys. It's really getting as much content down in your own words as possible. And you can make it look pretty on the review. You know, that's why you want to rewrite it and make it look flowery and put hearts where your dots are for your eyes and shit, whatever else you do. That's fine. That's on the rewrite, not in real time when the lecture's happening. That's your time you got to be catching it and encoding it as best you can because if you are not recording it, it's gone after this. So have a system, use tools that you like to use, right? 
I am a legal pad whore. <laughs> so I love yellow legal pads. I don't like white legal pads, and I don't like legal pads that are letter-sized. I like the long dogs, and I like them yellow. <laughs> and when I don't have one of those to take notes on, I feel a little ugh, annoyed. I wish I had my damn legal pad. So I'm sure you guys are anal in similar ways, right? It's like, I just like having my thing, right? That's good. Typically, things for note-taking are fairly inexpensive, right? Um, even if you're into your fancy-ancy trapper-keeper shit, um, you know, manageable, right? Buy one, buy a few in the beginning of the semester, buy it on Amazon, hope you have Prime, um, and you're good to go for the semester, right? You can get by with marble notebooks. You know, some people are old school that way. You know how much a marble notebook is? It's like 79 cents. <laughs> um, legal pads, you know, you buy a dozen at a time, it's like five bucks. Um, so I'm a big fan of yellow legal pads to take notes, and I would have like one legal pad per class. Um, I'm not having one legal pad per semester and it's like, oh, I'm in math and I do my math notes and it's like, oh, I'm headed to science now and you just pick up on the same legal pad. No, have your notes in a system in order and have each class's notes separate. So that could be a three ring binder with little dividers for each class. And it's like, okay, class is starting. You pull out a piece of loose leaf, you do your notes and then you file it behind, you know, last week's notes. Fantastic. Um, spiral bound notebooks. Great. Um, then your, you know, the other tools are like your pen, right? Uh, I like a particular kind of pen. Um, and so I try and, you know, they're a little expensive compared to, you know, typical Bic, but you know, I'll buy again from Amazon. I'm a prime member <laughs> and I got them and I'm, you know, I try and hold on to them as best I can. And just when I'm like writing, especially when I'm writing a lot, uh, it just feels good. It makes me, it makes the process less painful. It makes it more enjoyable. I suggest these things for you guys when you're taking notes. Splurge a little on these tools because it's not an easy process. Make it as easy as possible for yourself in these ways. Finally, we have note-taking on a computer. And so that could be an expensive tool. Um, the only people I'm going to recommend even consider taking notes on a computer are really fucking fast typers. Some people type faster than they handwrite. And if that's you, I would strongly consider thinking about it as long as it's allowed in class. And if it's not, there are, again, douchebag professors that say, no laptops in class. Uh, again, you use your mental health, leverage your mental health condition to your advantage. Go get registered with disability office. Tell them you need a laptop because of whatever. Make up something. You know, um, you can justify the need for a laptop in a classroom in today's day and age, and you'll get that accommodation. And f that professor. You know, whatever him. Um, so again, you need to be a really good typer, typist, to even consider this. If you hunt and pack, forget it. Um, but there has been some thought process. I don't know about the research per se, but there is a school of thought that the ability to kind of go from summarizing your brain to put out on a keyboard it is the, the process is smoother and faster than having to commit it to print or, you know, cursive or whatever you use. So... I have talked to a lot of students, and it's it's a select minority, but the ones that do it are really into it. 
and like to take notes on a computer, and that's cool too. And there's more and more options coming for uh, electronic note taking with tablets. You know, I can't wait to get one of those new iPad Pros with the pencil. Um, I think that's really going to be the way of the future. So you might use apps like uh, Penultimate or um, Notability which are, you know, have the ability to use those, uh, like pencil or styluses, styli, and take notes that way. Um, if you are adept at it, I'm not quite there yet. I don't think the technology is quite there yet. And then again, on your review, I did talk about note-taking, um, sorry, flashcards in the past and note-taking and flashcards sort of go hand in hand. I don't typically recommend taking classroom notes on flashcards. That's a little too difficult. Um, but you can, on your review, convert key terms you learned and took notes on into flashcards. Um, and you can also take notes from the textbook while you're reading in flashcard form. Um, so that's just a little bonus add-on for flashcards uh, and note-taking. All right. So that is my spiel on note-taking. As you can say, I tell, I have a lot to say about it. Um, it's hard, guys. I am not going to minimize the struggle. <laughs> the struggle is real uh, on how difficult it can be to take notes, especially in classes where the professor is re talks really fucking fast or is really fucking unorganized. That's the worst. Um, so hopefully you have a good professor, you know, interesting professors certainly make it easier, right? Um, but note-taking, whether it is an interesting class or a boring class or a good professor or a shitty professor, is really sort of non-negotiable in, in a college classroom. You may have been able to get away with it in high school, and I think that's one of the big sort of dividing lines for me it was at least, is like I didn't take notes in high school. I didn't need to. The The content was not so advanced that I was able, that I was, it was critical. Certain classes, yeah, like math, you know, we, you kind of have to write it out. Um, but that made me realize like the writing out of it is the encoding process. You know, if you've ever felt that need. Um, so I hope you guys got some value out of today's episode for your home exercise this week. This is sort of an accountability portion of an exercise. Um, try out one of these note-taking suggestions uh, one of these tips we talked about in today's episode, hopefully in one of your classes over the next week. Again, I'll consider this accountability exercise since I'm asking you to hold yourself accountable for what is lectured on in class. Anyway, I apologize that this episode is out a day late. Um, I had an interview scheduled that fell through. And I couldn't do that topic because I needed the interview. So I kind of scrambled to, you know, have to do something a little bit last minute. But um, I was a little unsure heading into this, but I think this episode kind of turned out okay. Um, as I said, I, I've talked about this topic at length with students for a long time. So it's sort of one that's near and dear to my heart. If you have any questions about anything I talked about in today's episode, send me an email college student success podcast at gmail.com and uh you know i hope things are going well i didn't really check in on our personal goals this week um hopefully i will have some more to talk about with my goal for us next week so i'll get into that a little bit with you guys not sure what the topic's going to be might try and get that interview rescheduled or kind of move on to something else Whatever it is, though, you can be sure it will relate to college student success and um, taking steps to 
get closer to achieving those goals that we set for ourselves. Tap into your passion, you know, create things of value, you know, think about leverage, hold yourself accountable, and think about sustainable practices. All right, guys, be well, have a great weekend. See you next week. Peace.